Pensacola approach, Skyhawk 75831. Skyhawk 831, Pensacola approach, how do you hear? Skyhawk 831, I have you 5 by. I need some help. I need a uh, life flight helicopter dispatched to my location. I've got an aircraft down. The pilot appears to be still alive. Hello and welcome to the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church, NACA Deputy Director of Public Affairs. The audio you heard there is from Freddie McCall. He's the owner of a Cessna 172 Skyhawk, piloted by Scott Jeffrey Nee. Nee had crashed into the sandy bank of the Escambia River in a remote area of Jay, Florida, north of Pensacola, near the Alabama border. He was seriously injured. McCall had gone to look for him, and he needed help from air traffic control. It was like most any other ordinary summer afternoon in Pensacola, with a lot of weather, when Marcus Troyer plugged in for his shift at Pensacola Tracon, shortly after 12.30 p.m. local time. In the skies to the west, United States Coast Guard Lieutenant Commander Brian Hedges was the pilot and aircraft commander on an ordinary training mission in a newly converted MH-65 Echo helicopter. But a short time later, Troyer and Hedges were joined in a search-and-rescue effort that was anything but ordinary and showcased the essential nature of their respective professions. Thanks to their efforts, the life of the pilot was saved. Marcus was chosen as NACA's 2020 Archie League Medal of Safety Award winner for the Southern Region. Here's my interview with Marcus and Lieutenant Commander Hedges. I want to begin by having you both introduce yourselves. We can start with uh, with Marcus. All right, Doug, thank you. Um, like I said, Marcus Troyer. Um, I've been in the agency since 2007. Um, actually graduated from uh, Community College of Beaver County. Um, I had spent my whole career uh, so far at Pensacola Approach or Pensacola Tricon. Um, while I was there, I did numerous uh, jobs, one of them uh, most importantly being a controller. I also did a lot of the quality control work um, at Pensacola, which actually helped in this event that we're going to discuss. Um, in May of this year, I actually transferred to George Bush Intercontinental. Um, so I'm waiting uh, to transfer to Houston there. Um, I have a, a wife. Uh, she's a nurse right now. She's getting ready to graduate as a nurse practitioner. And then I have two boys, a 14-year-old boy and a five-year-old boy. Fantastic. Thank you. And Brian, it, it, your, uh, your title is Lieutenant Commander. Is that correct? That's right, Doug. Yes, sir. Yeah, just a. Uh, I was a. Uh, I was just the aircraft commander. Happened to be the aircraft commander that day on the case, but uh, so it's just pure luck in the search and rescue world uh, that we like to say is just pure luck that it happened to our crew. Uh, but it was a certainly good case. Look forward to talking talking about. Two thousand six. Uh, from there, I went right to flight school uh, in Pensacola. So know Pensacola pretty well. Uh, met my wife there, and then uh, 2008, we went to Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I was there for five years, um, flying search and rescue, homeland security, uh, law enforcement missions up there, just off the Atlantic uh, Atlantic, Atlantic City coast there, and then uh, came down to Mobile in uh, 2000, 2012, we were there, and been there, actually been in Mobile since 2012, uh, Doing some different jobs, but uh, this this particular uh, the job that I'm doing now is we're actually the MH65 helicopter is getting going through a service life extension program and uh, basically outfitted with glass cockpit avionics. Um, 
just to get it through for the next 15 years. And then uh, it'll probably see its, uh, see its, its end of the timeline in the MH 65. It's about a 35 year old helicopter. So, um, that's what I was doing. We were actually out on a routine, uh, we were testing, evaluating some RNAV approach capabilities at our aircraft and, and we can get into what happened after that. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, it was certainly, I, I, it was luck that we were out flying that day and it was an awesome, awesome mission. So, all right, so let's set the scene for for our listeners here. Um, we're talking about uh, a town called Jay, Florida, J-A-Y, uh, northeast of Pensacola. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And um, it's actually about 15 miles north of uh, North Whiting Field, which is the Navy's primary flight training. Um, this particular day, uh, it was just like any other day at Pensacola. We had a lot of weather. It was uh, pretty slow uh, traffic wise. Um, I came in to work that day at uh, I believe 12:30, and I went to relieve a, a good buddy of mine, Miles. That was actually they were training on that sector, and right as uh, basically I'm plugging in, the owner of the aircraft, as I understand, had called in and said, "Hey, we're missing an aircraft," and that's basically when it begun. Um, you know, the biggest issue with this situation was we weren't talking to the aircraft at the time, uh, when they did crash. And so what had happened was they had called and said, Hey, is anybody talking to this guy? Uh, we went back, uh, we did like a Falcon replay, um, to try to see if we actually tagged them up or anything. We did not. So that complicated the situation. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I did a lot of Article 17 on the quality control side. Um, we had actually held a meeting a couple years ago with search and rescue, all the local entities. And so I was kind of well rehearsed on the search and rescue aspect and how complicated things could be. Um, during this session, the owner of the aircraft actually went out looking for his pilot and his airplane, as I understand. And that was about the time when I was plugging in, They he had actually located where that pilot was. Um, the issue was there was some level five thunderstorms between Pensacola and where this actually occurred in Jay, Florida. Uh, Jay is just a real remote area. Um, there's not much up there. Uh, where he actually crashed was on a riverbank you know, they could they could locate the owner of the aircraft could locate the pilot where he was and he thought that he was still moving at the time, but he uh, he expressed, you know, it was a pretty bad situation. I used all my knowledge that I've ever had at Pensacola. I tried to get Navy helicopters to respond. Uh, most of them couldn't do it because of fuel or because of their command issues and restraints. Um, we actually had life flight that was on the ground at uh, Pensacola about maybe 30 miles to the southwest, but due to the weather and they had just flew a mission, they were in a mandatory cool down period, so they weren't able to respond. Um, the team, uh, which was supervisor, everybody who was at work that day was trying to help out but it was back and forth communication. My understanding is the fire department had to take like a little John boat down the river to try to get to where they were. So 
Meanwhile, while the supervisor on duty and some of the controllers were trying to coordinate with uh, search and rescue, um, they actually, I called up just because I knew Mobile had Coast Guard helicopters. At the time, I did not know that they didn't fly search and rescue missions out of Mobile. They're strictly basically a pilot training or aircraft testing, et cetera. But I called up Mobile Approach Control and uh, just simply asked the controller, are you talking to any Coast Guard helicopters? Because I knew that was the closest place that I would ever see Coast Guard helicopters. And then I learned that most of the search and rescue comes out of New Orleans for this area. Um, Brian and his crew were actually up in the air at that time. And uh, what Brian will tell you is, you know, they were actually doing like a test mission um, and I simply just asked the controller if you had any Coast Guard, just switch them to me. And about five minutes later, um, the Coast Guard had actually contacted me on my frequency and I explained the situation and I knew there was some severe weather, but I felt um, I would be able to vector them, you know, as close as I could to the spot and get them in communication with uh, anybody that may make contact with them on the ground. Um, Brian and his crew, when they came over um, and I told them exactly what was going on, they were more than willing to actually respond, but they had no paramedic on board or any tools basically to do a search and rescue. But I explained the situation that it was on the riverbank and I felt like if anybody was going to be able to, to do a rescue and get this pilot out of there, it'd be the Coast Guard. So um, it went on for about you know, 25 minutes or so of uh, vectoring them and getting them as close as I could uh, directly to the location that we thought the aircraft was. And you um, had weather as well, in, in, and they couldn't take a direct line, I'm, I'm guessing, right? They they were able to take a, they basically, I got them on the north side of the weather at the time. And like I said, it was a solid line of weather, just level five. Uh, it was a pretty ugly situation that most you know, pilots wouldn't even want to consider flying through. However, you know, the, as we know, the Coast Guards basically, that's what they do um, when they respond and they're able with the, the aircraft to actually go through some nasty stuff um, and still remain safe. So I got them um, basically to the to the aircraft uh, location. And by that time, there was a paramedic, I believe, that had made it there by a John boat. And so I was able to put the communication to Brian and his crew um, and they switched location. And uh, Brian, I'll, I'll let him kind of talk about, you know, what they were going through and the challenges they faced. I know they um, actually landed on a riverbank and there's some pictures of that that you may see. Um, but I'll let Brian talk about basically what he experienced when when he landed on the ground there. We had actually just taken off, completed off, completed our level off checks, and we were we were testing some RNAV functionality, uh, mainly vertical nav, VNAV approaches in the MH65 Echo, and that's what we that was the whole goal of that flight for that day. And it was only three of us on board. It was uh, myself, Lieutenant Commander uh, Bob Lokar, who's actually he was a prior Marine. Uh, Marine CH-53 pilot, and then uh, Petty Officer James Yaki, who uh, very experienced uh, uh, flight mechanic in the back, uh, extremely sharp on our comms and 
sensors equipment on the aircraft. So we were, you know, we certainly had a very good crew, but we didn't have a rescue swimmer on board. It's not, you know, routine. If we're not going out to train, uh, doing hoisting or rescue swimmer work, we won't take a rescue swimmer. So theoretically, we weren't SAR capable, as we like to call ourselves. Um, and as Marcus was explaining, you know, most people uh, don't realize, but our unit in Mobile is one of is probably the biggest avi- Coast Guard aviation training or aviation uh, air station in the in the country. But it's it's fully training. All we do is train new pilots, proficiency training for pilots uh, every year. We have simulators on board uh, at our unit, and for the most part, we're not a we, we don't stand operational duties, uh, search and rescue duties only. We have a couple uh, CH-144 planes that do that, um, but they're like long-range search and rescue. Uh, The helicopters, we really don't, unless we have a big hurricane like we have right now, we'll uh, we'll stop training and then transition over to a search and rescue aircraft. But anyway, that that day, we we were just completed level off checks and and, uh, uh, mobile approach uh, that was vectoring us for an RNAV approach. And they're like, hey, uh, would you be able to assist with possible downed aircraft over in Pensacola Tracon AOR and you know we our aircraft at the time was a it's, it was a test and evaluation aircraft so we would probably be the absolute last uh, resort to go but uh, I actually radioed into our operations center and I said hey is there anybody else out flying and, and I kind of knew there wasn't just based upon our flight schedule for the day um, there was another aircraft that was getting ready to, to to start up and uh on our ramp over there but i didn't want to delay anything so i just said hey you know we're going to go over and we didn't know at the time what it was we just said a possible uh possible down aircraft so we're like well we can go you know initially our crew was like we can go over and just see if we can find them or something just to assist in any way possible so i said yeah we'll go we'll go help out and they gave us the vector i basically had due east and then uh contact Pensacola approach on, on, you know, whatever frequency it was. And then uh, we continued to go east, climbed up a little bit, um, tried to contact Pensacola approach. We knew we were a little further away. We were still over like Mobile downtown airport and uh, climbed up a little bit more. Um, the, the irony of this is, is this is actually the, the first, I would say, uh, search and rescue case in the MH-65 Echo uh, aircraft uh, uh whenever it was the first first case we ever had so it was kind of unique um you know we didn't we didn't plan it that way but it ended up being that way and and our aircraft um has all new uh glass cockpit um brand new weather radar which actually helped us that day and we had never tested it out and utilized it in full functionality but um as we contacted pensacola approach and i talked to marcus on the radio um the weather picture that he was painting was exactly what we were seeing in our aircraft. So it was, it was fantastic that um, we were able to, you know, he was painting that good picture for us. And what we were seeing was aligning exactly with what, what he was telling us. So it worked out pretty well. Um, And like he said, he gave us a vector to head to the, to head to the actual uh, uh, location of the downed aircraft. And initially we heard, you know, we heard him say, I think there was a couple Navy helicopters in the area. And at first, uh, I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, not that it's any different, but we, we, our crew first thought it was actual down Navy training helicopter. And that, that kind of raised our eyebrows a little bit because we had all trained at Whiting Field there. So that was what we first thought. And then as we got closer and we, we got more information, we realized it was a down uh, civilian Cessna and where it was and there was you know emergency aircraft on scene so 
we're like, well, well, maybe we, we might actually have to uh, land and help out, you know. So as we got closer, that picture was painted for us. And Marcus did a great job with that. Um, and we literally got on scene. Um, we looked at the we looked at the weather en route. We got on scene, did one lap, and we landed right away on the riverbank. Uh, Marcus had had everything set up for us as far as you know, another aircraft that was on scene there that we could talk to, and they were painting the picture of, of what they were seeing below the EM, EMT on scene. And we uh, we actually just landed right on that it was a riverbank. A lot of the rivers down here are all you know freshwater rivers, but there's there's sand, you know, and so we knew uh, that we couldn't put all of our power down. Uh, so, cause we would actually sink in that sand, you know, we're not, we're not that big of a helicopter. We I think we were about 9,000 pounds at the time because we had had a full tank of gas. Um, but still, I think if you kind of tell in the pictures, our, our tires got about halfway in that sand and we actually, uh, our co-pilot actually held about 50% power the whole time, just so we didn't put our power all the way down and we would just sink into that sand. So, we were on we were on scene there on deck for about I would say five five to seven minutes. Um, our our flight mechanic got out and he uh, he went and assisted and, and the EMTs already had the the uh, the survivor um, prepared ready to go and and uh, we actually put him uh, put him in the aircraft the survivor and then knowing you know search and rescue and doing doing a little bit back in the day we you know we're like we got to take an EMT with us. So we, we actually, at the time, we took the, uh, the EMT um, uh, that, that was on scene. Uh, they came with us to, to the hospital in Pensacola. So I will say when we got on scene, um, I mean, like Marcus is, is saying, there was some severe weather to the south of us. Um, and we got there and we saw the aircraft. I was pretty surprised that there was any, any chance of a survivor being in that situation. So it's it kind of remarkable that 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 actually happened uh, and it was just uh, one person on board the aircraft the pilot just one yes sir yeah okay. and, and do you know the level of, of the injuries the severity of them like uh that you can explain i don't know off the top of my head marcus might know a little bit more i know uh um you know the individual was in severe shock uh you know you could actually hear in the back over i mean over the helicopter and our helmets and everything you could hear the individual yelling a lot um his blood pressure, I think, was very low when they got on scene. Um, that's what the EMT was telling us because she, uh, she was actually relaying a bunch of information to us. Um, and uh, in, in our world, you know, we, we, we kind of, it's an unwritten rule. You don't want to look in the back of the helicopter. You know, you just kind of keep your head forward and because, and, and it, it, you know, it could change the situation, you know, a little bit more and make you, you know, you might make decisions that you never thought you would make if you, if you know the severity of what's going on. So, um, with that being said, I think he went, the individual went through a couple surgeries at, at the hospital. Um, I, I believe, you know, he survived. Uh, but it, it was, I, I can tell you that, you know, I, have been on, I, I've flown on, I'm not a, you know, I haven't, I don't have a lot of search and rescue experience. I've had a bunch of cases, but it was, it was, it was pretty, it was a tough situation for that individual to be in. I will say that. So just to go back to one thing you mentioned at the outset. So, so you were obviously you said you because you were in in training mode you weren't equipped with what you would normally have if this was a true search and rescue mission but then then you you mentioned that this particular helicopter you're in was was brand new and had new technology good weather glass cockpit 
did that sort of offset the fact that you you didn't have the other equipment on board to be a search and rescue copter and in in, in, in in hindsight was it sort of a blessing you had a, a modern piece of machinery there to be able to assist it, it was uh i mean for us to be fully search and rescue capable we have to have a, a rescue swimmer on board who was a trained emt um and we at that day we didn't have a, a rescue swimmer that was the big factor so you know, they're an EMT and they can assist, you know. Um, but in, in this case, you know, we hadn't, we, we, our aircraft had been through all kinds of operational and developmental testing evaluation, but uh, we were just in the final stages of, of finishing up, uh, getting it prepared to be fully operational. Um, and we had tested the radar, we had tested all the glass cockpit functionality, uh, flight plan stuff. Uh, but it, it actually, uh, we really put it to test that day. So it was a, it was actually a really good dry run for us, you know, not a dry run, an actual case. Um, and uh, so it was, it, it was certainly, certainly good. But like, like I said, though, you know, we, as we got closer, the comms with, with Marcus weren't that good initially. Uh, but then we, as we got closer and we talked to him, I mean, you know, I, I, that's one thing I will say is it was just, his, his, his demeanor, everything on, on the radio was fantastic, painted a perfect picture of where we, where we needed to go, what we needed to do, who was on scene. So like I said, when we got there, we didn't have to, you know, usually we have to orbit a little bit just to figure out what's going on, who's on scene. Um, I mean, we didn't have to waste any time at all. We did one, one orbit, came in and landed and sat there on deck for five to seven minutes. We lost comms at that point uh, with Marcus because we were so low. But uh, as we as we took off and climbed back up through about a thousand feet, we started to pick up comms again. And right off the bat, you know, um, we uh, he he had a path for us to get down to uh, Pensacola to drop the uh, survivor off at the hospital. So um, he had actually, you know, tr transitioned us. He uh, in route, he he you know vectored us around a couple storms, and then he actually gave the frequency over. I believe it was uh, I forget Marcus, you might remember, but the uh, uh, it was a light flight helicopter that had finally taken off, I guess, and was was airborne. And they they passed some information. We don't, you know, we don't really land at hospitals a whole whole lot in Mobile. So we there was some information. I knew where the hospital was just from flying in that in that area, but didn't know that you can't, you know, you can't shut down or you you can't stay running and and drop a survivor off like you actually have to shut the the helicopter down. So just they passed. Uh, he gave the you know the frequency to us and to, to to go through some of that information and that was fantastic so that was one of the most rewarding things in my career was basically uh once i was able to get brian to sacred heart hospital which is basically the closest hospital to the actual airport we do have um three major hospitals you know all within 10 to 15 minutes of the airport um but it's a one in one out operation into Sacred Heart. So what we had done was we were coordinating with the life flight pilot that was actually in their cool down period. And I knew Brian, you know, most most of these uh, Coast Guard and Navy pilots, they at one point go through North Whiting, South Whiting to do their their primary flight training. So I assume that he probably was familiar with the hospital. Um, they actually train on that while they're going through training. Um, but I knew it was going to be a unique situation. He had never landed there. Uh, so what I was able to do was to actually put Brian in communication with the life flight pilot to just basically walk him through 
uh, his landing, anything special that he needed to know. And at that point, then after I, I completed that, it was time to be relieved and um, the adrenaline was flowing, but it was a, a real rewarding situation. And I had actually switched um, the comms over to the tower at that point so they could assist in any way that they could. Um, and I actually got in my car on break because, like I said, it's two minutes from the airport. And all I wanted to do was to, to uh, maybe reach out to Brian to thank him for his help. Um, but with this situation going on, nobody ever lands at the hospital other than the life flight. So a Coast Guard helicopter, they had the police and everybody. I was actually able to to video it just because, you know, like I said, the adrenaline was was rushing. But after they took off and got back to Mobile, um, I believe it was Brian or maybe somebody from the command. Uh, they actually called the TRACON and I got to talk to Brian and uh, we've kind of stayed in communication off and on ever since this event and talk about aviation or Brian, I think, actually briefed um, the, the whole command um, several months ago about the situation and uh, his commander sent a thank you letter. But major things that I would like to say um, to anybody that's watching is, you know, show your appreciation to your, your fellow brother and sister controllers. And, you know, we all say, well, that's just, you know, part of our job. But um, anytime somebody goes through it, the adrenaline's rushing, you don't know, people handle things a little bit different. Um, but talk to them after, you know, our management counterparts aren't always the first one to talk and, and check on you. But, Keep your brothers and uh, sister controllers in mind. Talk to them. Uh, give them some praise. And uh, this particular scenario, uh, a fellow controller is the one who put it all together. Dan Brist, um, you, you really, it would have just gone unnoticed. So I'm thankful that Dan took his time and effort and put this all together. And that really speaks to the essential nature of the profession itself and the community of aviation professionals that you both are a part of, that the teamwork involved is just so strong and it has to be something where you trust everybody on your team implicitly, right? Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, you know, we, uh, before I came to Mobile, I was in, I was in Washington, D.C. where I was in New Jersey, but we also, every month and a half, we would go down for 18 days and stand uh, at the National Capital Region, we would stand uh, an air defense mission there, basically uh, intercepting all the small uh, general avi aviation aircraft coming into the uh, SFRA up there. And uh, we had we, we stood our watch at, at Reagan National. Reagan we, actually, National. we actually had a very good working relationship with Tower and uh, Tracon up there. And uh, we actually would fly them around a lot. We go up to Tower, and I think that. You know, we'd go up and see their, they have a simulator in the tower up there. And I mean, it was usually weekly. We were making trips up the tower and they were coming down and we, they were flying with us. So it's I'll say it's always been, you know, to see the other side of, of the radio, so to say, you know, it's always good to see that. And I've always had an appreciation uh, uh, from early my flying career on, on what you guys do. And that uh, it's certainly, you know, in this on, on this mission and on this case, it certainly came to fruition too. 
That's just a phenomenal story from start to finish. So thank you both for recounting it with such detail. It definitely put me as a, the layperson outside the, the profession, uh, uh, be able to really relate to this very, very well and understand what all went into it. So thank you for the description there. Is there anything else that, that either of you want to add that we didn't cover? I think that's pretty much it on uh, my part, Doug. I did want to mention, um, so as an air traffic controller, we have CISM. Um, for critical uh, incident stress management, I believe is what SISM actually stands for. So even though this event had a great outcome, um, it like I said, it was an adrenaline rush. I wasn't sure what type of shape the pilot was in. And like I said, everybody handles things a little bit different. For me, I was fine. Um, the adrenaline was pumping, but in the back of my mind, I just wanted to you know, like I said, say thanks to the Coast Guard, but also I wondered, and I still wonder to this day, you know, the shape of what the pilot is, is actually, and we never heard um, directly from the pilot, uh, other than that they did survive. Um, the very next day I returned back to work, everything was normal, and actually had an incident the very next day that, you know, kind of shook me up. Uh, nothing that was my fault, but the reason why I bring up SISM is because I actually utilize SISM the very next day. So as a reminder to all the brother and sister controllers out there, you know, that's a great resource and I highly recommend it. Um, they were able to get some tools and, and things that I needed in that specific situation. So don't be afraid to reach out to them is, is one of the biggest things that I would say. Fantastic advice. Thank you for pointing that out and thank you for sharing that. Uh, Brian, any any last words uh, from you? Uh, no, Doug. I think I I mean I I passed everything. And like I said, you know that honestly, I mean the, the the case was because of of Marcus and 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 everything that we had going into it. The case, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was easy, uh, but but it certainly uh, it, everything that all the information that was being passed made it much easier for us. Uh, and and it ended up being you know uh, with the the individual surviving on the on the back end it, it ended up it was certainly rewarding and like I said we don't do that every day so it was kind of a nice change of pace for us um, it's like you know we train and we we test and we do all this stuff and this is why we do it so um, and I, I really like just like I, got, I just passed you know we I've always had a good working relationship with air traffic control and you know I, from from the pilot's perspective some pilots out there get frustrated but then you got to understand what's going on the other side of the radio too so it's not always you know we're we're stressed everybody else is stressed but i think it's always good to understand what's going on so i would say if any pilots out there you know um seek out the local uh tracon local tower i'm sure you guys are always more than willing um to 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 help out and show individuals give them tours show them what you guys do so because it's good it's good to have a good working relationship together we're all one team here so and this that's a perfect example of what happened on this case that's very very well stated and it's certainly one of the the great things uh, among many when this pandemic is over is we'll be able to resume those kinds of of things again and, and those direct relationships we have with the pilot community and tours and so forth Definitely looking forward to getting back to that uh, that type of a situation where and when it's safe to do so again. So thank you. Uh, so thank you both for taking the time this, this morning to talk about this and uh, we really appreciate it on every level.
Thanks. All right. Thank, thank you, Doug. And, uh, nice to meet you. Brian, thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, it's my pleasure. You guys have a great weekend. Thank you, Doug. All right. Take care. See you, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye.